0: We have an exciting speaker tonight. Elder David B. Haight and his lovely wife are with us tonight. We found them to be very enjoyable, and I'm sure that all of you will be too. Elder Haight has been assistant to the Twelve since April of 1970. He now serves on the Council of the Twelve, filling the, filling the place of Elder Hugh B. Brown following his death. Elder Haight has been a noted man in both in civic and um, business affairs. He now serves as managing director of the Church's Melchizedek Priesthood Department which is responsible for priesthood uh, quorum instruction and training. He has been a mission president in Scotland and also he's worked here for B- worked here at, at BYU for 3 years as assistant to the president of BYU. We now welcome him, Elder Haight. Sometimes, when we're introduced, some inaccuracies are made. They're not always correct. I'm tempted to tell you a story. My wife would say that I shouldn't. But oftentimes, when we're introduced, people say things that uh, might be way out of date or inaccurate. There was a man introduced to be the speaker at a rotary club. And he was introduced as a man from Oklahoma who had just made $10,000 on a cattle deal. And when he responded to the introduction, he said there were some inaccuracies. It wasn't Oklahoma, it was Texas. And it wasn't cattle, it was oil. And it wasn't $10,000, it was $40,000. And it wasn't me, it was my brother. (laughs) And he didn't win it, he lost it. (laughs) Well, I'm honored to be here this night and to look out at this vast audience. My wife Ruby and I enjoyed the few months we spent at the BYU and in this valley. As we were driving down this evening there was a haze hovering over Timpanogos or just below the peak and I don't know that we'd ever seen it quite as beautiful as it appeared to us this evening. We could see the image of the Indian maiden more clearly than I think we'd ever seen before. We commented on that as we were driving along. What a beautiful valley, great people. What a haven to live in. I stand at this pulpit, my dear friends, in deep humility. And as the eventide settles over this peaceful valley, I reflect on my responsibilities and my desire to communicate to you some encouragement in your own personal lives. And I bring to you not an argument or doubt, but a heaven-sent commit conviction that I have that this is the Church of Jesus Christ restored to the earth in these latter days—that God lives, that He is real, that He has flesh and bones just as you have and as I have, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That the story told by the prophet Joseph Smith when he came out of that little grove of trees we affectionately referred to as the sacred grove. That that story is true. That he did see God the Father and the Son, as he reported. And that the Church is led by a prophet of God today. Some events do happen in our lives that are so overwhelming and yet are linked so clearly to divine power and influence. But however we feel at the time that they happen in our lives, and they've happened to you as they've happened to me, we feel so inadequate and unprepared. But still we see the hand of the Lord in so many ways in this church— not the least being the calling and spiritual development of ordinary people, you and I. Someone has likened our lives to that of a mighty river as it flows into the sea. It is the product of many streams, some large, some small, even brooks created by the melting snow high in the mountains. I thank God for the streams, clear and pure, that have influenced my life. Goodly parents, that phrase we all know so well, I had. Family influences taught the goodness of life, honor, virtue, taught to love the Lord, small-town, made our own fun and adventure, widowed mother, teaching principles always, priesthood, scouting, go away to college, then blessed in such a way to be led to finding a girl that I knew should be my companion. I saw her first at a dance at the old mill up in Salt Lake, up one of the canyons. I remember the dress she was wearing. I remember how much fun she was having with her date. (laughs) And I was sitting there with someone else. And I watched this girl dancing by, and I asked my date. I said, Do you know her? And she said, Yes. And I said, Why don't you introduce me to her? Now that isn't the way you win friends and influence people. I remember how hard I worked to get a date with her. And I would call on the phone, and she had a date, and I would say, What time is it? And she would say, 8 o'clock, and I would say, How about one at 6? I was determined because I had a deep impression that this was the girl I should marry. And I wanted to marry her, the right person, in the right place. And I would remind all of you who are here that the most important decision you will make in your life is who you marry and where. Never forget it. Never de-emphasize it. I have moved her and our family all over America. She still is beautiful, understanding, sustains me, provokes me when needed, but always by my side. And we're blessed with a lovely daughter and two fine sons, and choice and wonderful daughters-in-law and a son-in-law with 18 grandchildren, and they're all perfect, we think. When I was younger than most of you, growing up in a little town in Idaho, I thought the great moment of my life would be that I would be a good enough baseball player that I would be playing for the New York Yankees. And that we would be in the World Series. And the, game, the games would be three and three. Seventh game, deciding game, ninth inning, score tied, and guess who would get up to bat. The pitcher would put the ball in just where I would want it, and I, and I would, would knock it out of the Yankee Stadium. The ball would get lost in the parking lot. I was the hero of the World Series. And I thought that would be the great moment of my life. But I want you to know that isn't so. Not that it happened, but I found the moment. <laughs> a few years ago, I sat in a little white room in the Los Angeles temple little, plain, simple room. No fancy adornments on the wall. My wife was there by my side. We had one son and his wife. They'd only been married a short time. They were there. Our daughter and her husband were there. And our other son was kneeling at the altar holding the hand of a young lady he was about to be married to. And as I looked around the room, I thought, David, old boy, you had your priorities all mixed. Some athletic event or being some hero of some worldly event isn't the great moment of your life. I knew the great moment of my life was there then because all that I had that was really important we had in that room. And some bishops and stake presidents somewhere had found all of my family worthy to be in that room. Not the number of cars that you own or the number of white-faced cattle you might have in the hills or the size of your bank account, but the eternal values that count. You remember the Lord said something about moth and rust get through to those things that we have here that are worldly. But I knew that the greatest moment of my life was having all of our family in that room in the Los Angeles temple. Moment reflection blessings. These great moments of our lives A few days ago, I sat in a radio broadcasting studio in Melbourne, Australia. I was there with a radio personality reported to have the largest following in that part of Australia. We have been down there, a number of us, with President Kimball, as you know, holding these area conferences. I was to be interviewed live for 30 minutes on this radio station. As it turned out, Mr. Norman Banks, the radio personality, kept me for an hour. And as we conversed and answered phone calls on the air about the church, again, I felt of the great blessings of this gospel. And I would say to you, never doubt that this is the Lord's work, because sometimes you're in positions or in situations where you know that the Lord blesses you. I didn't know that this was going to be a live radio broadcast. I thought I was going in to be interviewed on tape and that we might have an opportunity to make some corrections if necessary. I found that we were going on the air, that that it was a talk show that this man had developed. Because I know that if we desire, the Lord will magnify us and bless us. As this radio show got underway, I was impressed with the clarity of my mind and the reaction of the saints who, later list, or who were listening. We all felt the hand of the Lord. Questions came in live over the telephone such as, What is a prophet? How is he appointed? Are you really an Apostle? How were you selected? What special training or schooling have you had to be called a prophet? Why are all of you in Australia? Are you concerned, about, are you concerned what ministers say about your doctrine? You must know that they use some very strong language about you. Are you carrying on a dialogue with any other church, hoping to merge with them? (laughs) Questions continuing such as, uh, What do you hope to accomplish in Australia? The lights kept lighting up on the phone on the switchboard as the calls came in. Ninety percent of them were the most positive, wonderful expressions that you could imagine. Expressions such as, I've just been baptized. My whole life has been changed. Thank you, thank you, a voice said. Another voice, we're now holding family home evening. Our family is now back together. Thank you for the Church, and thank you for the Church coming to Australia. The radio commentator caught the enthusiasm and the spirit of most of these callers, and when a caller wanted to take issue with me, we always have some of those, as you know. The commentator said, You've made your point, and you need to develop some love in your own heart. <laughs> but I found that he was, he was over on my side. <clears throat> as these episodes were unfolding, I would wonder at times, Am I saying, am I doing what I should be? I am now a special witness of the Lord. But I want all of you to know that I've grown up in the Church just as you have. Just as you have. Gone through all of the steps and all of the challenges that you have and that you go through. Fifty-nine days ago today, President Kimball phoned me and invited me to meet him in the Salt Lake Temple. It was about 2 p.m. I walked to the temple wondering what I had (laughs) done—what I had done wrong. Did he plan to change my assignments or my responsibilities? Perhaps I wasn't measuring up to my calling. As we met on the fourth floor in this temple, he had his usual warm greeting, which was reassuring to me. President Tanner and President Romney and the Eleven were together in another room. President Kimball invited me into an empty room there on the fourth floor, where we were all alone. Alone in this room in the house of the Lord, With the Lord's Prophet. After some inquiry about my life, President Kimball took me by both of my hands and looking deeply but kindly into my eyes and seemed right into my soul, he told me that he was calling me to fill the vacancy in the Quorum of the Twelve. I was overcome. I could hardly say a word. Words are inadequate as I stand here and talk to you. There comes a swelling within that is indescribable. You think, me? Why is he calling me? How can I? There are so many that are more worthy. Such great men have been so honored. The two of us in that room all alone communicating with our hearts and our souls. The Lord's prophet calling me. I knew I was in the presence of the Lord's anointed. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, There are times that are too full for sound or foam. I understand what he was writing about. The prophet invited me to meet the other brethren as we walked across the hall and into the room where they were waiting. They were also warm and friendly. And as they took hold of my hand and my arm, it helped my feet get back on the floor. <coughs> Excuse me. After we'd visited for a while, President Kimball said, "Don't you want to call Ruby?" And as I walked over to the phone and stood there in sort of a daze, looking at the telephone, President Kimball said, "Do you recall what your phone number is?" I was having such a difficult time dialing. Brother Boyd Packer said, Do you remember Ruby's name? (laughs) And then, with their great warmth and understanding, they assured me that they had all had the same experience. As Ruby answered the phone, she, I guess, detected the strangeness in my voice which was a little unsteady and weak and shaky. She said, Where are you? And I said, I'm in the temple. She said, What are you doing in the temple? (laughs) Knowing that I shouldn't be there at that hour. And then I told her what had happened. And she began to cry. And all of you young fellows and Through the rest of you here, what would we do without loving, understanding companions? What? Be grateful for the Lord's plan. The Lord's plan in which we understand so clearly that Mother Eve is a joint heir with Father Adam to the blessings of exaltation. And that blessing is for all of you who are so married in the house of the Lord and are valiant to the end. President Kimball, joined by all the brethren of the First Presidency in the quorum, placed their hands on my head, and he ordained me to this calling. Words I'll always remember. Words like an apostle is entitled to the revelations of the Lord in very deed. Words like we promise our lives, all of our efforts, our thoughts. Words including keys, powers of the apostleship. I was reminded, you are the 82nd so chosen in this dispensation. I've been called to join the finest group of men on earth. No men like them anywhere. I felt as I wondered what to say to you here this night that you might appreciate this personal treasure of mine. I thought I would like to share it with you. Because I want to testify to you that I know that President Kimball, our prophet, is the mouthpiece of God on earth. The Lord says that he is to be like unto Moses, a seer, a revelator, a translator, and a prophet, having all the gifts of God which he bestows upon the head of the church. Your hearts would have been caused to burn as did ours as we watched him preside over nine separate area conferences during the last few days each with three general sessions and separate priesthood and meetings and meetings for mothers and daughters to have seen and felt the love of the saints that they have for him and his love for the people out in the world Samoa Samoa New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga, Tahiti, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Australia. The Saints gave their best in their welcome for him, and then their songs and their testimonies. They had spent weeks and weeks in preparation—streets, fences, buildings decorated with ferns, orchids, hibiscus, and coconut fronds. They had fasted and prayed that the rains would cease. The rain fell before the meetings and during. One day the rain fell exactly at 10 o'clock. We were all inside and the meeting was starting and the rain came. But we don't think a drop ever fell on the prophet. They had fasted and prayed. Several hundred students lined the road to our school in Tonga. They were standing at attention, immaculately, immaculately uniformed. Boy Scouts formed honor, honor guards. Several hundred of our teenagers hired buses to take them to the Melbourne airport to greet the Prophet. They had paid a dollar each. The plane was going to be 20 minutes late. They were fearful that the bus couldn't wait for them and they would have to go back to the city. But, tears, but the plane arrived on in a few moments and tears flowed as they had a chance to see him and to touch his hand. A five-year-old boy was asked, who was standing there. One of our group said, Did you shake his hand? And this little boy said, No, but I saw him. And boy, did I see him. And then he handed this member of our party a little envelope and he said, Will you give this to the prophet? And when we opened it and looked at it, there was a little hand-drawn picture of the president. And down at the bottom it had love from Luke. Heads of state, government leaders, government ministers... We're all gracious in receiving the Prophet and his party. I am sure that missionary activity as well as Church participation will surely increase sharply after this visit by the Prophet. You could feel the spiritual impact of his being there and the reaction in the cities and with the people and with the press and those who interviewed. Probably the highlight of the entire trip was the conference session televised last Sunday morning to all of Australia from the beautiful Sydney Opera House where the meeting was being held. The three Sydney Stakes presented a choir and their own local speakers that were just superb. We were so proud of what they did, you would have thought the Tabernacle Choir was there. They did such a marvelous work. And then even though the president was tired, he was abundantly blessed as he spoke to this nationwide audience, explaining and testifying of the truthfulness of the gospel. The prophet testifying and explaining things such as, To be a prophet of the Lord, one does not need to be everything to all men. He does not need to be youthful and athletic, an industrialist, a financier, nor an agriculturist. He does not need to be a musician, a poet, an entertainer, nor a banker, a physician, nor a college president, a military general, nor a scientist. He does not need to be a linguist to speak French, Japanese, German, and Spanish. But he must understand the divine language and be able to receive messages from heaven. He went on to say he need not be an orator for God can make his own. The Lord can present his divine message through weak men made strong. he went on to say what the world needs is a prophet leader who gives example clean full of faith godlike in, in his attitude with an untarnished name a beloved husband a true father and we were so thrilled as he as he explained this to people who say what is a prophet Why do you have one? Why? We don't have them. Why do you have one? He went on to say a prophet needs to be more than a priest or a minister or an elder. His voice becomes the voice of God to reveal new programs, new truths, new solutions. I make no claim of infallibility, he said. He must be bold enough to speak truth, even against popular clamor for lessening restrictions. He must be certain of his divine appointment, of his celestial ordination. Isn't that interesting? Of his celestial ordination and his authority to call to service, to ordain, to pass keys which fit eternal locks. My dear friends, have no fear of Spencer W. Kimball not being in tune to receive God's instructions. The witness is mine that he is one of God's great prophets. I know not what may lie ahead, but one thing I am certain. I am committed in every way to serve the Master, to testify of him, and to follow the direction of President Kimball as his spokesman. The Lord wants and needs all of you to be strong, to be believers, to be an example to the world, to be an example of goodness to all the world. Mediocrity and weaklings come cheap. The world is full of them. As you plan your future and as you have doubts about big decisions, read what the prophet says. We sing a song, but I don't think we sing it often enough. Come listen to a prophet's voice and hear the words of God. Listen to what the prophet says. Read what he says. Read everything that you can get your hands on that he says. He'll never lead you astray and you won't go astray if you follow that direction. Live so you can. Ask for personal revelation that you're entitled to personally. I was at a state conference a few weeks ago in Augusta, Maine. I heard from a 16-year-old girl who had been called to be a class leader, 16 years old. She said she made a list of 17 names for counselors. She prayed, prayed for help. The next day she crossed off three of them. And after, this, after praying and asking the Lord for help, after two more days, she said there were only two names left on the list. And now this young lady had her own experience and testimony of personal revelation that you are entitled to. Listen to those that have gone down the road ahead of you. Don't be classed with those who, we say, in one ear and out the other. Don't do that. Listen to those that have had some experience and have been down that road. Alexander Shultzenitsyn wrote, Is it possible to transmit the experience of those who have suffered to those who have yet to suffer? Is it possible? Can one part of humanity learn from the bitter experience of another? I leave my blessings with you, praying humbly to you to live the standards of the Church. And I know you hear it often, but how are you doing with it? The scholarly Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, Souls are not saved in bundles. They're saved individually, and that the Spirit saith unto the soul, How are things with thee, with thee personally? Personally, you, human, child of God, an important person. Member of the church, family, children, future, vision of eternities. How are you doing? Come listen to a prophet's voice and hear the words of God. Sister Haight and I were going through London a few weeks ago. In one of the London papers I cut out a little story in which the headmaster of one of the prep schools in England, one of the renowned ones, where Winston Churchill went to school as a boy. The headmaster was telling the story that before Churchill died that they invited Churchill now in his old age but this experienced great man With all of the background that he had had. And that the world involved decisions that he had been part of. Stood before the student body of this prep school. And this was all that he had to say. He said, never. Forsake the things that you know to be true. Never, 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 never. May that blessing be yours. The gospel is true. This is the hope of the world. This gospel is the salvation of the human race. I testify to you in all humility, thanking you for this opportunity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.